As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder 1v1. I am Paul Tenorio, joined today by Jake Edwards, the president of USL. Jake, first of all, thank you for, for coming onto the show. We're happy to have you here. Uh, and I wanted to jump in with, with a kind of an oddball question, but you started your playing career at Wrexham, and it is now a much more famous club than I think it might have been when you were playing there. Are you, are you watching the show? How do you feel about the show, the new ownership group? What are your thoughts as a former Wrexham player on the on the global popularity, uh, considering your your now famous owners? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Good to be here. Um, Wrexham was always the most famous club in Wales, they would say, and so it was uh, it was fantastic to start my playing career at uh, at Wrexham at the Welsh club. When I started there in '98, uh, it was in the old second division, uh, and so in those days, teams like uh, Manchester City and Fulham. Um, Stoke City and others were, were uh, all in the same division. You know, we played at Main Road in front of uh, uh, strong crowds there. So it was a really tough league um, and it's a really historic club and it's had some amazing uh, runs in the FA Cup. They're known as the Giant Killers and it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a great working class town in North Wales. Good people and they love the football club. And it was a privilege to play there for a few years. So, unfortunately, over the last few years, it, its fortunes had dipped a little bit and it dropped down the leagues. And um, yeah, I, I probably was a little skeptical, like most um, ex-players or fans uh, of the new ownership group when they came on board. Um, but they've really invested heavily into the club and they've solved a lot of the challenges the club has had. They've bought back a lot of the assets that the club had to get rid of over the years. Uh, and they've brought a new management team on there. They're, they've got a really good playing squad. They just missed out in the playoffs last year. So um, it, it's it's more than a it's more than a, a show. You know, they're actually they're, they've they've got some real skin in the game. So hopefully the club starts to come back up the leagues. Uh, I'm as keen to see the new show um, as everybody when I think it airs later on this month. So um, and and you know it's it's lovely having played for the club to see it getting some uh, notoriety again. So should we expect some behind-the-scenes USL shows coming up soon and, and kind of uh, advertising the, the strength of, uh, 
of the second division clubs in USL? Yeah, and I'm also waiting for the call from um, Rob and Ryan because that is <laughs> yeah, yeah. a Wrexham shirt on the wall. There's two ex-Wrexham players working at the USL now, so uh, hopefully they'll get us involved in some uh, episode. <laughs> for sure. Now, you're you're from Manchester originally. You, you know, Obviously, you said you were playing in the second division against Manchester City. Did you grow up a City fan, a United fan? Which side of, of, of that did you fall on? Uh, uh, United on the red side. I had one uncle uh, who was a... For some reason a city fan but the rest of the family all uh, united that was the first game i went to um uh, when i was about six years old with, with my dad and so yeah manu's always been my club i was um fortunate enough to play against them a couple of times in my career uh, at the fa cup so I, I played against them at old trafford and um managed to step on the on the in the theater theater of dreams um yeah, but yeah, i was a, gonna say i saw i saw you had a, a nil-nil draw that you earned there with exeter city in the fa cup it had to have been exciting the first time. I don't know if that was the first time you stepped on, but to get a result at Old Trafford too. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a fantastic day. We'd earned the right to be there. We, um, you know, you step out there, there's 70,000 fans. It's, you know, it's a fantastic atmosphere. Um, you know, some of the players they had playing there, um, some of the best players in the world. Um, a certain Tim Howard was in goal uh, for that okay. match, which, which we had a good catch up about when I was when, say. when he was part of our you know announcement of the team in Memphis that he's uh, part of the group now. Um, but yeah, to play against you know Skulls and and Giggs and Ronaldo and all those guys in the heyday, um, and to to get a nil nil, we had to cover a lot of distance on that field to to keep them to nil nil. But it was one of those games where we've all played in where as the the clock keeps ticking, you've got a sense that actually you might get through this one. We lost the replay at, at, uh, at our place. We had a, um, a sold-out uh, game in the replay, and I think it was a certain Rooney and Ronaldo scored 2-0 uh, <laughs> in, in the replay. Who are those guys? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those were, you know, that's the magic of the FA Cup. You get to have those experiences that you remember for life. I imagine having been a player in those experiences to, to, to get a draw at Old Trafford, to bring Manchester United back to, to your house to play a game, um, it probably adds a little bit to being a commissioner of a, of a of a league where you get into these U.S. Open Cup runs, as you as you have a U.S. Open a USL team in the U.S. Open Cup final in Sacramento, um, that you you kind of relate directly to what the players are feeling when they're going through these cup runs and and uh, you know being the giant slayers or beating the MLS teams in route to to a USL final or to a U.S. Open Cup final rather. Yeah, it's very special. I've I've, I've been fortunate over the years to be on the U.S. Uh, Open Cup committee to try and affect some um, change and to keep promoting and pushing that uh, tournament to the forefront because it really is uh, not just an amazing experience for the players to have those runs and to play against teams from higher divisions, but for the fortunes of the clubs as well. Um, you know, it can transform the fortunes of the club. It certainly did when we played against Manchester United, and the you know those are stories that fans can tell for generations about when their team knocked off whichever team above them now. Uh, you know, it's been a, a fantastic run for the USL in the Open Cup, certainly this year. Um, we've had about 14 uh, victories against teams from a higher division uh, for the USL clubs, and they've knocked off eight MLS teams. And the final now with Sacramento is the first uh, non-MLS team in a final um, for quite some time now, since I think about 2013, is it? Yes. And so... Um, and really, it's two, you know, I count Orlando as a former USL team. So it's uh, USL have a strong presence in this final. So it's going to be a fantastic day uh, next month. 
Well, I, I did want to talk about the influence, the growing influence of USL in the landscape, but I wonder what brought you to the USL for the first time? What brought you to Charleston Battery and then and then back around to, to take an executive role in the league? Considering so much of your career was spent in England and overseas, what was it about about this league and this opportunity that, that drew you in as a player first and then brought you back as an executive? Yeah, I think uh, my ties to the U.S. go back further from when I was at university and prior to that in... Um, yeah, I you're a Duke. I was JMU. I was right. I was at JMU. And then uh, in the early 90s, prior to that, I was in New Jersey um, uh, for high school. We, my family had emigrated in the, in the early, in late 80s, early 90s. So um, it was always my ambition, even though I'd had a little over a decade playing in England, to come back and, and, and you know, be involved in the game and try to can help in some way move it forward. In 2001, I came over, um, uh, 2002-2001-2 season, I, came, I finished in England, came over, um, spent a little bit of time with DC United and then came to Charleston and signed with Charleston. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. It was an exciting club. It was still relatively young. They'd built this, one of the you know, very few soccer-specific stadiums in those days in the U.S. at Blackboard Stadium. So it was one of the first or second with the crew. Um, and we had great players uh, on the team. Um, and But coming from England, 10.5-month season, to the what was the A-League then, it was only a six-month season, and you'd play these sort of double-headers, Friday, Saturday night games, and but travel to some great markets and play, you know, Portland or Seattle or, or you know, teams in El Paso or Richmond or... Uh, Milwaukee so you got a sense of these community clubs and people who love the sport but it wasn't there you know just the infrastructure wasn't there and so when I played there and then I went back to England that was my takeaway that maybe one day I can come back here and we can really start to build out um, the infrastructure the sport needs in all of these communities and there's so many communities passionate about the sport so I think it was always my intent to come back um, I had an opportunity uh, about 2012 um, uh, where I was introduced to the ownership of the league uh, and I was looking to transition back from the US and I spent some time then um, working with the ownership on a strategic plan for the USL. So back in 2013 when I started, um, we had 10 professional clubs. And the league office was about 15 people. Um, and, and even though it was in its infancy, you could see there was huge potential. Uh, and so we set about a 10-year plan uh, of how do we start to um, change the the ownership group and, and, and uh, build the strength of the ownership in our clubs? How do we expand? How do we build a, uh, a, a sustainable business model that people want to invest into? And then uh, how do we build soccer stadiums and, and, and training grounds and all the infrastructure that you need? Um, so we sort of put this long-term plan together and we've been executing on that. We've built a significant amount of stadiums now, or um, about uh, at least two-thirds of the clubs that we have now have built soccer-specific stadiums. We've got about uh, 11 more stadiums to build. We've got about $3 billion right now invested in stadium development projects. We've uh, increased the league now. We're about 38 professional clubs uh, in two divisions, and I've got nearly 100 staff here at the league office. So it's the whole look and feel of, the, of this league has, has changed. And, and um, you know, on the back of that infrastructure build, you're able to start investing in academies. You've got owners that want to invest into their clubs and their communities. And we're seeing the uh, results of the academy investment. We're investing into women's football. Uh, and we're building a platform uh, across more than 200 communities from youth to pro 
that you can now start to uh, see the benefits of that pathway for players. You're seeing engaged fan bases following these local clubs that they're uh, showing their passion for, and you're seeing a media and a commercial platform uh, they're enabling us to bring on some real heavy hitters in that in that uh, part of the business as well. So we're not a finished article, Paul. We've got a long way to go. Um, we've got a, a World Cup coming here as well in 2026. That's going to really accelerate growth for the sport, and we want to be um, best position our league to really sort of benefit from that. But it's been a great growth story over the last uh, you know, ten or so years. Yeah. Well, first of all, as a Northern Virginia guy with multiple teammates that went and played for JMU, I would have been in a lot of trouble if I didn't get a JMU acknowledgement in, in this pod. Um, and, and I loved the stadium in Charleston, one of my favorite ever to visit. But that growth that you've overseen now with USL has been incredible to watch the impact on the sport itself in, in so many different ways. And I, I've been lucky enough. I covered Orlando City from their transition from the USL into MLS, but I got a really good idea of the excitement around that team when they were in USL. I went to Louisville when they launched as an expansion club. I've been to Phoenix. I'd like to go back to Louisville to see the new stadium. So I've had a chance to see games at, at many different uh, USL venues and, and to get a feel for the environment. But when I first started covering this sport way back in 2007 at the Washington Post, one of the things I covered was the launch of the Development Academy and kind of the long-term vision that was there of how youth development would impact the sport in this country, and that we weren't going to see those results in two years or five years. But, you know, when we got 10 years out, you'd start to see players who had come through those systems. And, and true to form, we've, we've seen it now with with this U.S. national team. And I think similarly, the impact of USL has been the, the long-term impact of the growth of these teams within these different markets and the ability now to start identifying players in those markets who all have a professional team to aim to play for. And, you know, we're seeing that at and so many different teams around the league. And I wonder, you know, from the USL perspective, how important youth development is and has become to the team, especially when you start to see players like Josh Winder in Louisville attracting teams overseas, um, that, that this can be something that is important, not just for USL, but potentially for likely for the health of the national team program. Yeah, I mean, it was only recently, I think the U.S. men's national team played Canada um, going a couple of months back. And there's 15 of the players that were in that squad had played in USL. And I think one of them, um, uh, Jonathan, was was currently uh, in the USL. So, excuse me, on the national team, currently playing in the USL. So from top from top to bottom, USL is uh, affecting in, in such a positive way, the future of the sport and the development of, of players all the way to the national team. You know, it was not too long ago that if you had a player that with some potential in a in a whatever community, um, they might have to leave the state at 14 and go live in another state just to be in a professional club academy. And then parents have got to make that decision: how do they support their um, how do they support their child or or not? You know, and, and so that was a very difficult situation to be in. What we've tried to do. Uh, is make sure we have a presence in as many communities as possible and we're delivering professional football and all the infrastructure beneath that uh, to as many communities as possible. It's a huge country, as we know. Um, USL now is in a little over 200 communities. And so as you think about the, the potential of unearthing some of the absolutely next best players uh, in, the in the world, not just this country, um, 
they might not all live in this, the, the obvious communities, right? So we've got to make sure that there's a pathway available for players uh, across this country. And that's what we're able to see now through the investment we've made in the USL Academy uh, League. Uh, we've got all of our championship, League One, League Two clubs participating uh, in this youth development space now. Uh, and what we're able to see and what we're able to showcase for the first time to players, young players, it, there is a pathway through the USL and your local professional USL club, um, not just to a professional career, but a pathway to some of the top leagues around the world. Now, this has taken some time. This has been uh, worked on um, uh, for a good five years now behind the scenes, uh, and, the, and the Academy League's been running for three years. Um, what we're seeing now is the uh, fruits of that. It does take some time for these 12 year olds to now be sort of 17 and be on the radar. Um, what we're able to showcase for these young players now is that they can choose to play for their local USL club. They could choose, for example, uh, uh, Josh in Louisville um, uh, coming through their academy. Uh, he can choose to uh, work with that club. They are going to put him on a, and other players like we're seeing um, Kobe Henry and other players in Orange County. The clubs are working with them on a one to two year roadmap to be able to get them to some of the top leagues in the world. What we've been able to do over the last few years is prove that the USL Championship and now um, the USL League One um, are becoming more and more competitive professional environments. Uh, and um, through the work our new sporting director, Mark Cartwright, um, uh, is doing and, and the education we're helping our clubs with, we're able to showcase our clubs to leagues uh, and clubs around the world and we're elevating the status uh, of the USL Championship and League One in their minds. And so now players who are playing 30 to 40 games in the USL Championship um, have a certain value att attributed to them. And so that's the opportunity for the young players. Um, rather than going into a different environment, if you can come through the Youth Academy into the Championship or League One and get one or two seasons under your belt, get 40 appearances, you're now going to have a certain value and you're going to be on the radar of certain clubs around the world. And we're seeing that now with a number of players that have gone to Ligue 1 in France, La Liga. Uh, we've got Premier League and Bundesliga interest in some of our younger players, players that tend to be around 20 or 19 years of age. Uh, we've had some overage players go to some leagues around the world as well. Uh, and we've got an environment in those leagues where you've got a mix of some really talented young players who are on the radar of the big clubs around the world, but 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 really solid professionals. We've got we've got full senior internationals playing in the USL as well who will be representing their country in the Gold Cup or certainly in the World Cup over the next two cycles. Um, so it's a it's a very competitive league. What our club has offered these young players is the chance to make those first team appearances far more quickly than perhaps they would ordinarily be able to do and therefore raise their profile and their value and their attractiveness much in a, a much quicker way. Well, this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I, I did want to follow up on that in that, you know, I think a part of the growth of, of USL, um, I think the cycles of growth that we've seen since uh, you've you've been the president of the league is we saw expansion and MLS teams playing a big part of that expansion. And now MLS teams have moved over into MLS Next Pro. Uh, and I expect there to be continued expansion with uh, USL League One and, and potentially in the USL Championship as well. But the advent of MLS Next Pro presents an interesting decision for many young players around the league. And I wonder from your perspective, when you see someone like Jonathan Gomez leaving FC Dallas to go to Louisville and then playing in Louisville immediately and, and being sold to a team in Spain, you know, did, is there a belief that, or I guess is the, is the, the pitch to come play in USL that, you know, partly what you just said, you, you're playing with professional players men who are trying to, you know, keep their careers alive, some who are trying to stay competitive for their national teams in front of big crowds on on contracts that are maybe a little bit more um, attractive in terms of the timeline um, and that there still is this pathway. Do you believe that, you know, as of right now, that USL might be the, the better pathway for some young players versus, you know, again, MLS Next Pro in the early stages of its development, but a lot more teenagers against teenagers, um, more reserve league feel. And, you know, coming from England, it's been a big debate there as well. Premier League 2, kind of the reserve league versus sending players on loan to the championship. It's that same dilemma. Where is the best place for development? Yeah, I'm not sure there's sort of exactly one right way to go. And and, and I think it is based on what's right for that particular player. Um, we're trying to provide options and another option. And, uh, and and we're seeing that players are now able to make that choice. Um, and, you know, as a young player, ha- you know, all, all the young top players are going to have aspirations to play at the highest level. And how quickly can you get there? And once you're there, are you prepared to, or are you best prepared to be able to stay there and survive at that level? So okay sending a player to La Liga, but if he doesn't play and he gets loaned back out and he can't can't hack it at that level, that's not good. We need to be able to prove that the players that we're developing that can play at that level are now able to play. And we're seeing that. Um, the players that we've sent over there are getting uh, minutes, right? They're getting game time. So that that's crucial for us over the next few years to see. Um, 
But I think it's about choice and it's about what's right for the players. And, and you know, you can come to a USL team through, uh, if you've come through the academy, um, you're able to play right away. You're playing in a tough environment in front of, you know, eight, nine, 10, 15,000 fans we had at Louisville against Tampa uh, last week. Um, so you're playing in pressurized environments uh, and that accelerates the growth uh, far more than any other environment, really, for a young player to, to be playing alongside uh, uh, grown men and professionals in a pressurized situation. So what we're seeing is those players, after one or two seasons, are moving on or on the radar. So, you know, we've proved that that's, that's possible. Now, some of those players, if they're lucky, will have a long career in the USL. That may be the level they'll achieve. But the ones that we think might be able to move on, those clubs are working with them directly to give them a give them a defined pathway. They're not saying, come to our academy, we'll see what happens. They're not saying, sign a contract and then we'll loan you somewhere else and we'll see what happens. They're saying, come with us, you'll play two seasons and then you'll be going to La Liga. It's a, it's a clear pathway for them, uh, for, for certain players. Um, so I don't think it's one right way, but as I said, um, to be able to offer that to players in uh, Louisville or Oklahoma City or Phoenix or Tampa or, or any Pittsburgh, um, they wouldn't have had that opportunity before on their doorstep. So what is the next phase of growth for USL in your mind? Is it about expansion, a continued expansion, trying to find new markets? Is it, is it more focused on growing league one? Is it, you know, the ideas behind promotion and relegation? What, what is the next phase for USL and what's, what's the goal in that phase? Well, we're focused on a on a sort of couple of key areas. One, we're focused on the evolution of, of, of our competition. How do we make it uh, continue to uh, make it more and more competitive? Uh, and, and so we're evaluating competitive structures uh, and to see uh, you know see what changes we can make. We're evaluating promotion and relegation between the divisions. We're evaluating how do we make more games of consequence uh, uh, to to put more pressure. Uh, on, on everybody and to make uh, you know to, to make sure that our competition is as good as it can be and it's getting tougher and tougher every year um, you know we're focused on the infrastructure we're focused on uh, the stadiums that we've got to build and the training grounds we've got to build uh, Louisville was a fantastic stadium uh, when we opened that stadium coming into 2020 uh, you've seen some great um, stadium projects uh, in Rhode Island and in Indianapolis and a number of other markets uh, that are going to be coming online over the next couple of seasons. So you're going to see this fantastic landscape of, of, of uh, soccer stadiums, which is uh, critical. Um, we're focusing on, of course, uh, our commercial and media platforms. We've brought legends on board now uh, for a 10 year agreement to really accelerate the, uh, the commercial uh, program uh, nationally and, and, and internationally. Uh, and you'll see us um, really striving to build a fan base, right? We've, we've made great strides there. We're about 30% year-on-year growth in attendance. Um, but we're focused on making sure our clubs are hyper-relevant organizations in their community, that they they, they really matter in people's lives. Uh, and we've, we've done a good job of that, but we've got a lot of work to, to do to continue to build uh, the fan base. Uh, and the final sort of area, yeah, is, is focusing on, on the investment in play development, and you'll see more players coming through. Um, we have several hundred players now we've signed over the last few years from our academies to first team contracts. You'll see more of that and more of those players uh, going to some of the top leagues uh, around the world. So we'll continue to evolve. Uh, as I said, we're not a finished article, but we're very pleased with the progress we're making so far. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting for me. I think anyone who grew up in this country playing the game, um, what's been amazing is to watch the infrastructure build out and to see whether it's, you know, for me being from D.C. area, going home and seeing a, an MLS stadium in D.C. is crazy. But when you, when you see these stadiums coming up in markets um, all around the country, whether it's a, a massive market like L.A. or smaller markets like Louisville, and to see the or Sacramento, the people showing out to the games or Detroit. I, w- I went to Detroit for a family wedding and, you know, had a beer and I looked down and it's Detroit City beer. I'm like, what is going on? It's just been incredible to see um, the growth of, of the sport in this country. Um, and and I think, you know, your your guys aggressive line at, at that growth has been such an important part of it because, you know, ultimately this is such a massive country and, and the more the more markets where the sport is touching the better it is for this for for this sport for the growth of the sport i think well we don't we don't believe that there's a sort of limited number of cities that are preordained to only have soccer right yeah. so it's not how it's supposed to be and so you're right whatever community we go into whether it's a championship or league 1 there's such an energy and a buzz and it's uh, i'm so proud of the the work we've done to to be able to affect some of that change and bring this fantastic sport uh, and an infrastructure um, to communities. And so you're right, when you see some of these fantastic stadiums that are gonna be built and have been built, um, the engagement of the local business community, the fans, uh, what it means to them. And you know, I go back where we started this conversation. My first game was at Old Trafford. I was, I was six years old with my dad. I can remember the smell of the wet grass. I can sip the, the cup of tea and meat pie and I can remember seeing my heroes running around on the field I remember it clear as a, a day and, and that that affected me that that this is um yes yeah, sort of changed my life and, and and since then I've been in football my entire life in one way or another now if you don't have that touch point with the sport it's very difficult to relate to it in, in any meaningful way or that it, it might affect your chain your life um and so I think that's the uh, opportunity privilege and responsibility we have to go into these communities and try to uh, in some way shape or form affect people's lives and I think we're seeing that and you're seeing that as you travel the country Um, and we're so proud of that. Well I I vowed to end this podcast every episode of this podcast by by asking the same question I failed in the second ever episode I didn't ask Adrian Heath for a book (laughs) recommendation so I'm gonna have to call you know he's lucky he's got time to think about it and I don't think Adrian would have been been able to answer on the spot but Jake, I'm going to ask you if you could recommend one book to anybody, just one book. Now, whether it's uh, you know an all-time favorite or a favorite right now, that's up to you. What would be your book recommendation to be in the uh, the allocation disorder one v one book club? Well, I'm a fan of uh, biographies, and I love stories about people who have had uh, real adversity to overcome, and and, and especially people who have had to lead through adversity and, and learn those lessons. So I think it's a long walk to freedom. Uh, from Nelson Mandela for me. I think that's one of my favorite biographies of, of someone that's achieved so much and had so much adversity to go through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jake, for joining us. Congratulations on um, just the, the sheer amount of growth that we've seen in USL over the years. Um, and and good luck to Sacramento in the US Open Cup final. I'm excited. Um, you know, like you said, it's such an important tournament in this country's history. Um, and it's so exciting to see a club from USL in the final, I think it should hopefully draw a lot of eyeball, eyeballs to the game and, and, and you know, through, to the leagues that are involved. So thanks so much, Jake. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me.